Welcome to So Hearing Dada. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, we talk about transracial adoption with Dr. Kay Ramsey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name's Tim Elder. I'm a dad of three through infant adoption, and this is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. We're going to give you the inspiration and the hope so you can adopt faster with more confidence and hopefully less headaches. So thanks for joining me today. We got a very special episode. And in fact, this episode is sponsored by Bethany Christian Services. Bethany is a full service Christian nonprofit adoption agency with locations in 36 states. They've been helping families just like you adopt since 1944. And they can help you create an adoption plan that's right for you and your family. And they'll be here with you every step of the way to support you because your journey really doesn't end when your adoption is finalized. There's a lot of stuff that goes on after that. Bethany is amazing and offering post-adoption support services for families, adoptive parents, even adoptees. So I invite you to go check out some of their adoption stories, learn how you can get started at bethany.org forward slash infant adoption guide. And we'll have that link in the show notes for you. So joining us today is Dr. Kay Ramsey. She is a very accomplished person. She has been published uh, in the LA Times and in Fostering Families Today magazine. She's been interviewed on Spectrum News and various other podcasts. She's the executive branch director for Bethany Christian Services in Southern California. And really, she is a former foster youth and adoptee. She has a personal commitment to God and being a good steward of his work has been, and she has triumphed beyond adversity throughout her life. She is really is a transformational leader, a visionary. She brings 20 years of experience in social services to Bethany, and she successfully completed her PhD in public policy and administration with a concentration in nonprofit leadership. She has dual master's degrees in uh, from Pepperdine University in clinical psychology with an emphasis on marriage and family therapy and a master's in business administration. So, so accomplished. And, and she's not done yet because she's got an upcoming book release uh, that we'll talk about in the interview t- titled Persevering Beyond Adversity, The Blueprint. That's coming out in f- the fall and winter of this year, 2020. And it's really about giving you a, just a gritty story about being born from sexual violence in a prison, putting into foster care and later experiencing homelessness after her adoptive mom passed away. And just giving you the tools and ultimately the blueprint, like it says in the title, for success on how to turn pain into passion and persevere beyond adversity using faith and vision and a mentor. So we really appreciate Dr. Ramsey coming on the show today, and I know you're going to love the interview. Here we go. All right. Welcome to the show. Kay, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully well. (laughs) I'm in sunny California right now, so all good. <laughs> well, I can't say the same for me, but that's okay. I'm glad you're in a sunny, sunny area. <laughs> it's a cloudy outside and cold here, but that's all right. Thanks for joining me today on the show. Uh, you know, we've done a few other shows on transracial adoption, and this one is just is different because you just have such a very unique perspective on ad- adoption in general, being an adoptee and now an adoption professional. So go ahead and share your story as an adoptee. Like, what, what was life like growing up for you and your family? Yeah, so for me, I was actually born into foster care. My mother was raped while while she was in prison, and I was taken away, put into foster care, and later adopted at the age of three years old. And although I don't identify as being in a transracial 
adoptive home, I was adopted by an African-American family. But throughout my life, I also felt like the black sheep, like I felt different. I still looked different and I act different than them. Um, and I think that's an interesting piece that you don't really hear like, oh, just because you guys are the same culture or they have the same ethnic background, that always doesn't mean that everything is going to mesh perfectly. Um, and so I was really growing up, nevertheless, like I was very close to my mom and my, my adoptive mom and then my adopted grandfather. Um, they are just, just loving and kind souls, but I never really connected very much with my, my grandmother or some of the other family members. Um, growing up, I didn't even hear the words that often, like, I love you. I remember as an adult and when I wanted to say I love you to someone, I, I recognized how difficult it was for me or to be around families that said I love you all the time. Um, so I was just like, oh, that's really interesting because growing up, like I didn't experience that. But but one of the things that my mom did share with me was just about about my own culture and art. And, you know, we experienced like fine dining all the time, which was very nice. Like every payday it was like, OK, what new restaurant are we going to go to or what favorite restaurant are we going to go to? And she showed me about traveling and showed me those things. She showed me what she knew. But one thing, becoming a young woman, I wish that she also had somebody to teach me what she didn't know in regards to relationships and friendships, business, and, and even love. You know, I think sometimes parents feel like they may know it all or have it all, and they don't need, like, an outside person to sh share those things with their child. But I needed that. So after she passed, like, I really went on to seek those things. Um, so I would say, you know, my childhood, beyond feeling, and it was the only, you know, a single parent adoption. I always kind of proclaimed myself as daddy's girl without the dad. So I always had, quote, unquote, big brothers. Um, so in that, you know, in a single parent adoption, I think it is important for that that person adopting to have that that counterpart or to have someone to fill in that space um, if it's not on a everyday basis at least on a weekly you know or a monthly basis because I do think that a child needs that needs that balance of you know a mom and a dad or you know I don't know if it's a uncle or an auntie or somebody but it's not it's not on a monthly basis it's it has to be it really does have to be every day that you're seeing like what do friendships look like? What do what does love look like? How should a, a young woman be treated, you know, by by a young man? Those are things that I wish that she did, you know, for me growing up. And and fast forward, at the age of twenty five, my adoptive mother passed away and I was going to Cal State, PSU, Cal State, Los Angeles. And um, it was absolutely devastating because all that time I always thought that a family meant, you know, the husband and wife and the child. But when she passed away, I realized we were, the, it was me and her, like that was my family. And now I didn't have a family anymore. Um, and a year later, my biological mom, who was in prison my entire life, reached out to me. 
unexpectedly because I had no idea that all this time she knew where I was. She mailed a letter to my home from prison. And she said that she told me in the letter that she had always knew where I lived, knew where I was. And, and I thought, like, how come, of course, like, how come my mom, her name was Robin, how come Robin never told me, <laughs> you know, told me that this is my adopted mom? And, you know, or did she know that Janice, my biological mom, knew where I was? Um, and in that, that's when I found out a year, a year later after my mom died that I was a product of rape and now also dealing with the grief of my adoptive mother passing. And I'm just like, you know, how more alone can you feel? You know, it's like you at that point, you know, about to graduate from college and um, it's just like, how, how do you deal with it? And I felt like at that point I had a choice, like I can succumb to, to depression and succumb to just this unknown feeling, you know, kind of be under a dark cloud or keep pressing along. And at that point I was working in, you know, I was working in psychology and, you know, striving to become a therapist and working in that field. And now, you know, currently I work for Bethany Christian Services as a executive director for the Southern California branches. But every day I was just as a young woman, like it was hard. And I felt like I went from being in foster care to being adopted to being feeling abandoned and kind of feeling like I was an orphan all over again, you know, at the age of 25, because my mom's family that adopted me threw me out. You know, they wanted the, the home um, to get probate money. So it was just like, oh, I'm, I really feel like an orphan now. Oh, like wow. I don't have the love of my mom's family that was, you know, left behind. And my biological mother didn't even want to see me. She didn't even want to meet me. She just wanted money from me. And so that was also devastating. When I talk to prospective adoptive parents, one of my things is making sure that the entire family is on board with that adoption and not just the two parents. Because what if something happens to the, to those parents? Like, will they love upon this child? Will they still continue? Because it's it's the parents are adopting, but the family is also adopting that child. And it's a decision for the entire family. Because for me, like I was left, just really left all alone. And to this day, like I haven't spoken to my, I call them my mom's family. I haven't spoken to my mom's family um, since then. And I've been able to surround myself and have great mentors and network. And my friends, you know, are truly my family like I have godparents that mean the world to me and they've been able to to stick with me and we even like rekindled our relationship to make it grow this past holiday and so um, it is a struggle and you know we'll get into more questions as we move forward but that's just a piece of my story yeah wow you definitely dealt with a lot of stuff and then you go on to just accomplish so much uh, man that just really took a some amazing effort and drive and uh, just determination and to get everything you've done. So congrats on everything you've accomplished. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And so when we talking about transracial adoption and, and just really for the folks listening that are maybe sure. considering a child who's just a different race from theirs, Thank what you. are some of the, what are some of the most important things to think about in your experience and your, and your professionalism? What have you, yeah. Some things they could think about before they say yes to being a transracial family. 
Yeah, so um, in in preparation for this podcast, I also interviewed two friends, April and Sheldon, that both are uh, adoptive parents and have adopted transracially. And one of the things that they both say is that if you're going to adopt a child, of course, transracial adoption means that you're adopting a child out of your race, that that shouldn't be the first person you know. So if you're adopting a black child, that should you should also be aware of the culture. You should also have some black friends, some people in your network. And the same if they're Hispanic or Hawaiian or Asian, that you should know some of the culture. You should have some friends a part of it so you can understand and even have a your own network, like your own mentor, you know, to help you and to understand questions about the culture and not just go in blind. Um, because each culture, each ethnicity, there are just different things that you just need to know that we particularly do, you know, just from the African American culture and what creates us and what is our is our makeup. It is very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are the yeah. things. Yeah, to, to absolutely think about because. Yeah, you don't want to just yeah. assume everything's going to work out perfectly yeah. without you doing any kind of yeah. thought, having put any thought to it all. Yeah. And, and really the struggles come, and we've talked to folks that have adopted transracially too, and there are struggles they face with just the struggles with yeah. acceptance and judgment from even their own friends and family, you know, within. And like right. you said, uh, when, you, when you adopt, the parents shouldn't just realize it's just them adopting a child it's them and their family so how can folks really just understand the struggles they may face uh, and maybe deal with them with their friends and family yeah i think first is having the conversation with your friends and family that okay this is what you're going to do um and making sure that the language you know needs to change because sometimes you're not even aware of some of the stereotypes that you may say but that that adoptive parent now becomes uber aware, if you will, and you have to kind of step aside. And if you hear something, you know, your friends or family saying something that seems stereotypical or negative, pull them aside in that moment and let them know, like, hey, this isn't okay. My child will feel very uncomfortable, and I will also feel uncomfortable and educate them on that. Um, and then if you do have to remove certain people from your life, then by all means, like you need, you need to do that um, because the the main thing is it's for the best interest of your child, and it also helps that we're all understanding just different people's culture and how we can say stereotypical things. And sometimes it is just a natural reaction, and sometimes we really don't have that awareness until somebody else calls you out on it. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I'm dealing with it in the experience, and that's what's hard. I think if as an hopeful adoptive parent and you are considering adopting transracially how do you know if your friends and family are going to react ridiculously or say crazy things or even have racist comments and things like that how do you even know they're going to do that until you get in the moment and you the child is with you i mean i I, obviously you need to discuss it with them you know and just try to get some of their feelings out about uh, different races. And I think that that would be an important thing to start educating them way ahead of time before you mm-hmm. even adopt that you're considering doing yeah. this and just see how they react and try to educate them there. And like I said, mm-hmm. like the blunt, you know, just the blunt 
conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, it starts early. I think the best way to get it after it is, is before you reach the point of wanting to mm-hmm. adopt trans transracially. Um, did the folks that you talked to, did they have uh, those kinds yeah. of things that they've dealt with ahead of time before they adopted? I know that, um, say, April and Sheldon, they spoke with their families about it. I know Sheldon, for instance, he um, he really didn't want to do a lot of research um, and look at a lot of resources. Um, they just wanted to go in and say, this is what we're going to do versus April and her husband, Paul, they did, you know, they did the work and they were, they just wanted, they wanted a baby and, you know, they wanted a newborn. And when they got the call, it was like, okay, you guys, this is a Caucasian family, April and Paul. And they got the call and it's like, oh, this is an African-American baby. You know, like, how do you feel? And the process like went very quickly. So sometimes you do have enough time to prepare your family. Like I'm sure the families know that you're adopting, but you know, you may get a call on Monday and you go pick up the baby on Friday, you know, or (laughs) within three days, you know? So it's like, you can do, you can definitely do so much, but then I think it sometimes is, then it becomes like, okay, this is in the moment. And like I said, having those conversations, um, letting them know that it's not appropriate, it's not warranted, um, and then kind of just, you know, moving from there and hope that it doesn't, you know, ever the relationship because you just wanted the baby to be happy and healthy and the whole family to be happy and healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I think a lot of people struggle with, um, so agencies make, they come to the hopeful adoptive families and they say, Hey, what kind of race would you prefer? Like what would you be comfortable mm, right. with adopting? And those are so hard yeah. to answer those kind of questions. Yeah. Because, but you have to be real with yourself and your family yeah. and yeah. what you're capable of doing. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? What you what your experience is with that? And that, I think that is the hard part with adoption and in foster care. And one of the things that we talked about this year is even educating and not letting the family just say like, okay, we're only open to to this race because it will limit limit them. So educating them on the culture, on just being open, you know, because they may even say other, you know, kind of stereotypical comments about, you know, just hair. Hair in itself can be a difficult topic. Right. Um, right. if it's not if it's not of your, you know, your own race. Like I don't even want to deal with that or or, or again, deal with the family, deal with the comments, deal with the racist and rude remarks. Um, but at times, regardless of your race or ethnicity, you might still have to deal with those things depending on where you are and where you live. So it is truly about understanding and just, you know, just having that education. There's there's one book um, that is recommended. It's called Adoption is a Family Affair. I don't um, have the author at this point, but that's also a good book to, to prepare, you know, the family for, for, you know, in bringing home, you know, a child that is not a part of the race. Yeah. I've heard of that book. We'll put that link in the show notes for folks that uh, want to pick up that book. That's a good, good resource. And and thinking of, of, of parents that, Oh, so say you've adopted and you're, you're in a, you're a transracial family now. And Mm -hmm. 
you're going to start dealing with these things that happen to you. And it's not really a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And how do parents process or like respond to these crazy, rude, even racist comments that are going to come from folks about their kids? And how are they going to do mm-hmm. it without being just overly sensitive and protective? Or maybe you, maybe that is how you handle it. What do you think? Yeah. I think, I think it's also, you know, we haven't spoke about the child, but also talking to the child about what could possibly happen and being okay and being upfront with, you know, with the child. I think that's probably the hardest comment and having that open conversation. The parents have to start the conversation to start the difficult one and let whoever is saying negative things that it's not appropriate or, and it's not warranted. You know, um, right. like I said, it's, the, the families have to be helpful and happy, but the scary part is, is talking to the child about it. Like these comments like may come. Um, and if you hear anything, I need you to come, come talk to me because you guys are a team. You guys are going to be a strong family unit. Um, and that's how you want to kind of deal with it head on and, and let them know like, okay, if someone says a comment to you that doesn't seem right. It's probably not right. You know, I don't, I wouldn't want that child to become comfortable with hearing things that are negative to them and give them examples, you know, for them, you know, on how to respond. And like I said, calling, those family and friends out. Um, April, she mentioned, and even Sheldon, like they both mentioned, like just being out in the community and strangers, you know, giving them looks or, you know, saying negative things. You know, Paul was in the car with his daughter who's African-American. I think someone yelled out and said something negative to him. Um, Sheldon was, you know, they were walking their son park and someone's like well is this your child you know it's just it's it's awful so you not only the family but the community and the best thing to do is you know you can't you know just ignore them you know you don't want to easily because it is your child you're going to be overly sensitive um but I think reading those books having those resources and even going on blogs to just find out like what are the other supportive networks if you need to go to a support group do that um, but preparing yourself for it, because like I said, you can even go, I was, you know, people said racial comments to me and they were of my own race. <laughs> you know, I was a, adopted in an African-American family. Like they talked about my skin tone. I have darker skin. They talked about my hmm. full features. So it was like, I still had to, to deal with that regardless of what my parents looked like, hmm. you know? And so, and that was, that was difficult in itself, you know, like that affects your self-esteem and if something is happening at school your kid you know, your kid may not come home and share that share that with you but they may be scarred with it for many years to come so it's nice I think just for parents regardless of who you're adopting um, adoption or not to, to have those open conversations because kids you know when they talk about school it's like how was school fine you know there's the one word answer <laughs> they just want to kind of get get past it and go play it's important to to have those conversations and to present it, you know, to your children and to your family just in a different creative way. Yeah, because really they're they're they could deal with two 
two separate issues, really. Um, not only just yeah. being a different race, but also being adopted. You know, I mean, adopted mm-hmm. kids in the in of themselves have to deal with that. And I'm like, well, I, where'd where'd your real mom yeah. and dad come from? And you know, those kind of crazy yeah. questions that really can exactly. you know affect the psyche of these kids. So I think it's it's great advice to just talk to them and have that. Make sure you have that open communication with them. Like, hey, yeah. you can come talk to me about any of this stuff. Yeah. And don't wait for the, the child because the child may not bring it up, but say like, okay, once a month we're going to have this conversation because when is, the child is a child, that's, that's why they're called children, you know? So at what point does a 10 year old say, mom and dad, let's talk about this. It's, it's very rare. So the parent has to initiate the conversation and not be afraid, no matter what difficult topic it is, because they need to be had. So if it's going to be, once a month they were going to do examples or whatever the case, like it's up to the parent. Like I totally like just encourage the parent to take that initiative because even though I was a part of an African-American family, there was still a level of shame that I grew up with because I couldn't talk to my mom. I didn't feel comfortable talking to my mom about being adopted or wanting to know my biological family. I felt that it would just hurt her too much because she was just that way. And so I wish that she would have had open conversations with me so I wouldn't feel shameful about it, um, about my story. It wasn't until, you know, maybe a few years ago that I've been able to share more and more of my story. And especially about being born from rape, that you never hear that story. You know, so there's, you know, just shame that comes from that. But I stay encouraged because none of that was my fault. Right. You know, none of that, you know, why children are in adoption was not their fault. And so I love the idea when someone says like, no, we didn't give birth to you, but we chose you. We're choosing this. We're choosing this family. And it gives me goosebumps now saying, (laughs) you know, it's like you're you're (laughs) you're the chosen child, you know. And so if you can make it and just make a spin on it. Yeah. um, I think that's amazing, too. and I'll share like Willie Moe Jr. He is a he's an artist, he's a singer, he's a speaker, motivational speaker, and he's done work with Bethany Children's Services. Um, and he's based out of Atlanta. He has a beautiful documentary about being adopted. Um, he has a t-shirt line about you know I think it says adopted or something, and he's like really changing the idea of and taking away that shame of like, no, I can talk about this. This is not a shameful thing. This is my story. Um, and let me travel around the world, sharing my story, sharing this beautiful document. Like it just brings tears to your eyes when you see it. Um, and sharing that. And I think more adoptees, more foster kids need to see that. No, you can come from, the bottom, if you will, and really rise and make it to the top, regardless of your story, regardless of how it started. Absolutely. Very nice. Very well said. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so true. Give, give these kids some positive things to, to think on, to think yeah. about and latch on to and not uh, let anybody make them dwell on the negative. Uh, mm-hmm. So when parents are, raising a, a child of not of their race uh, how would they yeah. ensure a child is exposed to or interacts with people of their race and maybe even it's probably even and i know it's tougher for those who just live in an area that may not have that many dif- diversity of races around them how do they oh, yeah. how would they do that 
I know that's such a great question. Um, and April actually responded and said, make sure they're not the only, no matter where they go, which is hard. Yeah. You know, they may be the only Asian kid, you know, in the dance class or in, um, you know, wherever they're going and that, and you, I still get a sense of that. Like, okay, I'm the only black person in the room. Got it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just that thing that you're clearly aware of. Right. Um, and you have to, to deal with that. Okay. Everyone's looking at me. I look, I look crazy right now, you know, and I'm not a child. I'm an adult and I have that awareness. So of course the kids have that awareness and it is sometimes, even though they may thrive in school, um, but then is there some place like in church or is there, you know, something like, is there movies that you guys can make sure that you are going to watch that has that culture? If you don't really have, um, an increased population in that there's, you know, I don't know, like there's meetup groups. So there's different groups, I would say like all over the world, but you really have to be proactive and not feel like, Oh, it's okay. They're, you know, they're having a good time. They're going to be loved. Um, but they still need to see and feel. It's also a feeling, you know, um, just growing up as an, a child or an adult, that sense of pride for your own culture. You can talk about it, but at the same time, you don't look like um, who you who you just adopted, you know. So it is it is very different. So like I said, if it's not in your community, if you can't have them going to a church or, you know, a Bible study that is very diverse, then make sure at least that you're educating them with, you know, historical, you know, movies or movies that are coming out that there is, you know, they can be inspired by their culture and see them on the big screen, you know, go to museums, like take family vacations and find those museums that are specific to whichever culture that you are adopting just so they can see like where they came from. And I feel like we all come from royalty. We all come from kings and queens and we all have powerful stories within each of our culture and making sure that they see that it's not a once a year thing. You know, it has to be a constant thing, like, you know, making sure, or even the books you can, we all have bookstores and we all got Amazon, right? <laughs> so <laughs> making sure they have, um, they have books that are related to very specific to their culture and even dolls, you know, dolls that are specific that can look like them, um, that they can also see that and be inspired. Um, and not only to their culture, but also all cultures, you know, because, you know, that's what we're this world is made up of. So it's super important to, right. to not take the easy right, way out and say like, Oh, you know, I'm in this small town and we just don't have it. There's multiple different avenues to take. Um, to make sure that your child is aware and that you're aware and the family is aware, you know. Yeah, I like how you said that being really, it's about being proactive. It's, it's, it's yeah, making it sure you're you're doing something or talking about it and, and doing something. And I think your kids will remember that growing up, mm-hmm. you know, um, and even if you're not doing it all the time, but you have some kind of a proactive thing that you're doing and, and teaching them and talking to them about it. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, yeah. what, you mentioned a couple other, or a book and a, a couple other resources. Do you have any others that you sure. want to share with the folks about transracial adoption? Sure. So there's a, another um, young woman. Her name is Angela Tucker. She's a transracial adoptee, and she's, you can find her on the website called theadoptivelife.com. 
Um, she travels around the world talking about her story. Um, I believe there's also a movie about her as well. Um, then there is um, April mentions her favorite book series. It's called Voices by Rhonda M. Rita and Rita Simon. And she says there are also books about transracial adoption. And then my friend, actually my friend Sheldon, he said that they actually didn't reference any books <laughs> or blogs or anything prior to adopting transracially. She, they said that it was just a choice, um, that they didn't care about the nationality. Um, however, I'm not sure if after that, you know, after they adopted, if they were, you know, kind of willing to find resources. But, uh, but April gives some good ones. So, <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Um, what's yeah. uh, based on your experience and everything you've been through, what is, if you can boil it down to one thing, what is one thing that you would wish all hopeful adoptive families knew about transracial adoption? I would say, I would say to not be afraid. We all, you know, we all need love. You know, we literally, like, we all need the love of a parent, the love of a mother, the love of a father. Um, we need that support. And so when, you know, I'm, I'm picturing just like a room of, of kids and they are looking and they have, you know, they're looking in their eyes and their watery eyes and just to say like, okay, like you kind of just want to reach out your heart and just be as a ministry for God and say this, Give me all of them. It doesn't matter. And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. There will be challenges, regardless if it's about race. It could be behavioral. It could be just, um, you know, with education or just personality. There may be a lot of different other things. But I would say don't let the color of someone's skin stop you, you mm -hmm. know, from loving upon a child and giving a child that needs a family. And whatever their story or whatever that history is, mine was from rape, you know, and what if I didn't have a family to or a mom to say, like, yes, I'm going to choose her and someone else say, like, no, I'm not going to choose her because she looks different than me. You know, mm -hmm. think about how that kid would feel if you could you even say those words to a child. You probably couldn't, you know, you probably couldn't say, like, oh, I don't want to adopt you because the color of your skin, mm -hmm. you know, or because you look different than me. You couldn't even utter those words. So it's like, if you can't even utter those words to a child, then take the extra step to just educate yourself and educate your family and just provide love. That's the main part. Like you want to be a parent so bad and you want to help. And just to, like I said, to be a steward of God's love and to do his will you know, in your heart to don't say no, to, to, to truly consider it and not be afraid, you know, just don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true uh, in the adoption world, yeah. um, just to really do educate yourself and wrap your brain around, can we do this? What would it look like if we yeah. did it? You know, how would our family react to it? How would we handle yeah. those kinds of situations and, and raising mm -hmm. our child that way? And, um, yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing if you can do it and you should consider it. I think anybody adopting yeah. should consider it. Um, Anyone adopting. And, mm -hmm. and it, don't think that it's going to be just a happy ending because right. you're going to adopt someone you're raised. 
either. There, right. Like I said, there'll be challenges on both sides, yes. you know, so it's, <laughs> you have to be, this challenges as a parent in itself, you know, so like first you're going to be a parent no matter what. Please recognize there will be challenges. Right. <laughs> so, you know, just adding race. And sometimes it might not even become a concern with your family. Your family may be very open and it can go very smoothly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't want to put out there that any and every time you think of or do a transracial adoption, that it's going to be a very difficult situation. You know, it may not be, but right. it could be. You know, <laughs> so just to be open minded about that and just open minded to parenting, you know, like there are books about parenting. There are all books about transracial adoption and you can do all of your research. But some of that stuff, it really goes out the door. It's really dependent on your heart, the friends that, you know, the circle that you have, the network that you do go to and your mentors and just to say like, Oh my God, I'm struggling with this. Who can I talk to? Mm -hmm. What books, you know, if it is a book, what book can I read? But in that moment, you need someone in that here and now. So I recommend people having that person um, in that moment that has experienced, you know, transracial adoption and can provide you support when things arise and know and let you know, like how to navigate it. Absolutely. I mean, look around and you'll, you'll find people, that you can communicate with, talk with and have them help you. Cause you're right. I mean, you, in those situations and you're dealing with some rude, crazy people and you just need to call somebody and go, how am I, how am I going to deal with this? What do I need to do here? Uh, It would be so helpful to have somebody just call rather than just looking at a book or a blog post or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. And I was just thinking about yeah. that too. You know, when, when you do run across these crazy comments and maybe yeah. unbelievably rude comments, racist, whatever, is there any way mm-hmm. to deal with them with humor? You know, I think lots of times we kind of forget, we, we get so sensitive and protective that it's hard to even think about humor in that kind of a situation. But is there right. a way, some kind of advice you can give to folks that maybe they could deal with it with some kind of humor? Right. Um, I would say, I mean, you can't, you know, <clears throat> say a funny joke or, um, you know, just say like, oh, this is my family. I love our, you know, Hawaiian child or Asian child or mm-hmm. black child. You know, like we're thriving. You know, you can say that, but then you don't want to go on a downward spiral and start responding to everybody that says a racist comment. Right. Um you know, if anything, it's just like, okay, I might not go on this blog anymore or maybe <laughs> I'll just report that one but then it's like now you don't want to spend your day reporting all these posts you know it might be sometimes easier to just say like you know what i might say something the first time or if they're on my page you can of course easily block them and make sure that your energy and your joy is not affected Mm. by the racist um and derogatory story comments but like i said if you can if you can say something funny like oh we are living God's purpose. We are loving our baby and good luck to you. You know, we wish you all the best. <laughs> God's love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to keep it, keep, keep it pushing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's obviously based on your personality and you know, what kind of mm-hmm. wit that you have. Uh, I'm not very quick witted. Right. I think I, I might not be able to come up with something that fast, but but certainly right. think about it ahead of time. I think that's really the the key here is think about things ahead of time that you might 
you probably will get some weird stares and dumb questions and crazy comments and just think about how you would handle that. And if you can come up with something right. in, with humor, you know, great. And, and I think you're right in saying that you don't have to respond to everybody. You might feel like you have yeah. to respond to everybody and you might want to, <laughs> but it's probably not worth right. it to you to tell, like you said, take your joy away by uh, responding to all the crazies. Yeah. Right, because you don't want someone else to have control of your happiness. Mm -hmm. I've seen people have a post, and it says, like, any racist or derogatory comments will be removed from this page. So Mm -hmm. you can have something like that so people know ahead of time, like, oh, okay, I'm not even going to troll this page because it's going to be be deleted. Yeah, absolutely. you 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 can take those necessary steps. But, you know, in this day and age, it's very easy to, you know, delete, delete a comment, yes. ignore it. Um, so, yeah. I wish you could do that when you're walking around talking to people, too. I'm going to delete your comment. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I guess you could, you know, like, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> there you go. That's a way to delete it. I'm going to pray for you right? and your, and your comment. Say, God, <laughs> God pray for them. Or God pray for me so I don't say nothing crazy to them. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's good stuff yep. yeah you got to think about those things yes well thank you for coming on the show before we go though and i, I want to sure. you mentioned that you have some projects you're working on and some things that you got coming up you want to talk about those sure so my, i'm working on my first book and i'm super excited about it it is called persevering beyond adversity the blueprint and what it is i give 10 steps to people um, and it's really targeted to foster youth, adoptees, and just people that have gone through any level of adversity throughout their lives and they're feeling stuck um, and uncertain about what are their next steps and how to move through that. And for me, being empowered to start sharing and sharing my story, like I was going through this, this space where it was uncertain and, um, you know, hearing that I was a product of rape, you know, dealing with the grief of my, my adoptive mom, um, trying to navigate through school and also dealing with different losses of just friends that occurred, you know, throughout that kind of chunk of time. And I was just feeling uninspired, not motivated. And I needed, I needed something. I'm like, there's a, there's a blueprint, there's a formula for different things. How come there isn't one just to get through something, you know, like what, what do I need to do or what do I need to read? And that's what this story story is about. Um, I give the 10 tips and then I also pull from different friends, different families, just different people in the community to hear how they were. Cause one of the tips, of course, um, just motivation, like what does that look like? What does having a vision look like? And so I interview different people to see what, how they figured out what their vision is. How did faith help them? Because I feel like you cannot persevere beyond adversity without having some sense of faith, without having some sense of spirituality. So I'm really excited to get started on this project. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, and just listening to you mm-hmm. in this interview, I mean, you are yeah. just an inspiring person. I, I just I think you're going to do a lot of good stuff uh, and help a lot of people with your book. So I'm excited to have that come out and uh, we'll, We'll be sure to uh, include that on our resources page on the Infant Adoption Guide blog too. If you, whenever you get that released, let us know. We'll certainly put it there and promote it. And uh, I think it will help awesome. a lot of folks. Thank you. In the future, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. 
did yeah. part of your upbringing and just all the things that you dealt with as an adoptee, the hardships you went through, did that drive you to wanting to choose your profession and to get the degrees you got and become the therapist and all the things that you've accomplished? Yeah, so I was initially going to school to become an artist, an architect, an interior designer. That still, that was always my first love. And when I was um, going to school, work, going to interior design school, a friend of mine had took his own life at the time, mm. and that shook me to the core. And yeah. I was just like, well, what am I doing being an artist right now? This makes no sense. I'm not helping anybody. I'm just gratifying hmm. my myself and so for me i had that inner thought and i said well if i was a therapist maybe he would have come to me you know maybe mm. he would have said something to me and i could have talked to him some kind of way and maybe in my mind helped helped him and um and that you know i left school to be, you know, didn't become an interior designer and went to Cal State LA and studied psychology. And it was so hard because first I'm a creative person. So it was like turning on the other brain. <laughs> you know? That is and hard. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was at the top of my class. It was, you know, amongst a lot of men in the class and a 4.0 student doing extremely well, winning awards and different things. And I just completely left and say like no I want to help people and then I also thought about the community you know we talked about shame a little bit like there is a lot of shame when you think of mental health therapy and I didn't know any not one therapist or not one doctor beyond on tv that was within my community and so I was like I wanted to be that I wanted to help help people that were going through depression or help kids you know that were struggling and that's how I switched um, okay. And one of my first jobs in my twenties, I was working at an, an FSA, um, and you know, helping with adoptions. And then when I before coming to Bethany, I was working in social justice, and my dissertation was about you know like how men persevere beyond adversity. And I wanted to kind of highlight those stories, like we still need you in the community, you know, like we still need you. As parents and fathers and friends and entrepreneurs um but it wasn't it wasn't my story and when I got to Bethany everything just clicked like all these different opportunities just started to open I was just like yes I'm helping a certain chapter you know of people a certain group of people but I can't speak to it because these were all in social justice. Those are men that were, you know, recently released from prison. And I knew I was doing good work, but it just wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. And like I said, coming to Bethany, like all these doors just started to open and me being comfortable with writing. And that's how I got published in the LA Times. And again, like I said, for, for me to become even more and more comfortable in sharing who I am and sharing my story. Which is important because as hard as your story is and as hard as the things that you went through is so worth sharing because like you said, mm -hmm. you have no idea. I mean, even if you change one life with sharing your story, it's worth it. And I'm sure you're going to change a lot more than mm -hmm. that. I mean, you, <laughs> you certainly are a, a blessing to the adoption community and certainly to uh, Bethany Christian services. I'm sure they're excited to have you on board. there, sharing your uh, knowledge and wisdom and inspiration and hope. So 
thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything today. Thank you so much. It was truly an honor. And I, these type of things just truly empower me because I feel like I become better and better as I'm able to share and be open about my story. And I hope that my testimony will help somebody else share their story as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Most definitely it will. Thank you. All right. An amazing interview with Dr. Ramsey. She did such a great job just sharing her wisdom, her experience. She really is an inspiration. If you just listen to her and her story, I can't wait to get her book because uh, when it comes out, uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people just deal with their own stories, let alone and maybe even share their own stories uh, about their adoption experiences and their transracial adoption experiences and I think it'll be an amazing uh, a support book for a lot of folks. So if you go over to infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash 68, you'll be able to get the show notes for this episode and everything that we talked about today, including all the links and resources about transracial adoption. So I invite you to go over there and do that. There's a lot of good stuff there. And while you're there, sign up for, if you haven't already, sign up for my website, infiniteadoptionguide.com. You can get some free resources, free guides, adoption guides that I have for you and a lot of other good stuff through email and we can just become friends through adoption and and talk with each other through our adoption journeys together. So go over to infantadoptionguide.com. There's plenty of places to uh, sign up for that and uh, love to talk to you. Until next time, you are in my prayers as you go on your infant adoption journey. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.